Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, years ago, I was doing a little prayer retreat at a cabin down in Kentucky. The cabin was on a lake and it was hot. So I went swimming and I was there all alone. And after swimming for a little bit, uh, I, I swam back to the dock, to the, to the ladder to climb out. And there was a ginormous bug on the top rung of the ladder. Um, don't laugh. It was really big and really scary. It was like, it had to be like an inch and a half long and like it's, entire head was pinchers. It reminded me of the bug that I've seen in movies, like in The Mummy or something, that like gets under your skin and then like crawls up and and eats you from the inside out or something like that. Uh, And, you know, I was all alone at this cabin and I kind of freaked out. I'm not proud of it. Uh, So I, I swam around the dock and got out on the shore and got a big stick and then went to the ladder and was going to obliterate this bug. But I knocked it off into the water. But I'm like, I don't want it in the water because if I swim again, I don't want it to eat me, like eat my toes. So I fish it out of the water and just kind of go crazy on this bug on the dock. Like I can't imagine what it looked like from a distance or even up close, you know, just wailing at the dock with a stick. Uh, And I tell that embarrassing story because a question for us today is what do you do when you're afraid? How do you process and respond to fear? Or at risk of getting, you know, too tender, too personal, when was the last time you said out loud to God or someone else, I am scared? Today we see that Jesus has absolute authority over nature, over creation. His power is absolute. And I was just so intrigued as I studied this text uh, again this week on the, the relationship between Jesus's power and the disciples' fear. There's just a really fascinating back and forth between the disciples being afraid, Jesus's power, and more fear. And the, the main idea for us this morning is that our fear is an opportunity to see more of Jesus's power. Our fear is an opportunity or even an invitation to see more of Jesus's power. We're gonna look at three things as we go through the passage. First, we're gonna explore the image and metaphor of chaotic waters throughout scripture. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys, it's gonna be nerdy. I'm gonna nerd out on you for a little bit as we trace this theme through scriptures. Uh, Hopefully it's interesting to you, at least as half as interesting as it is to me, but I think it'll be helpful. And then we're going to walk through our text, our story, uh, really kind of put ourselves in it um, experientially. And then lastly, we'll consider uh, what it looks like, how we can see Jesus more um, as we follow him in our fear. So let's dive in. This uh, theme of chaotic waters is kind of this one of the things that's all over the place in the scriptures, but it's easy to miss. And I just want to walk us through super briefly uh, this this theme, flipping all the way back to the beginning. I think it'll be on the screen uh, if you don't want to flip there. Genesis 1 on page 1 of the Pew Bibles, if you're you're following along there, uh, it says this. I know you've heard it before, but it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So from the very beginning, the first image that we get is is a picture of God hovering over deep, unformed, dark, chaotic water. It's meant to, to convey, this is poetry in the Hebrew, it's meant to convey a state of uncreation, a state that is hostile or inhabitable and unwelcoming to life. And into this formless, chaotic deep, God spoke in light and land and plants and animals and humanity were created. God spoke over the water, the power of his word over and against the emptiness and chaos of the waters. Later in the Old Testament, the chaotic waters, uh, that image continues and evolves to be kind of the personification of evil or even the source of evil itself. Let me read uh, one passage to you. See my bookmark's still there. From Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is kind of like this pinnacle chapter in the book of Daniel. It's a prophetic chapter, and it's a chapter that uh, Jesus himself refers to over and over and over again throughout his ministry. So it's a very, very important chapter. And listen to what it says in verses 2 through 7. I'm going to warn you, it's very, very weird. It says, In my vision, this is Daniel speaking, at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the sea. Four great beasts, each different from each other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there was before me a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. So that's weird, right? I found an awesome picture when you Google things. Oops, that's the wrong picture. There it is. Uh, that someone did got you know created with CGI of these four beasts that emerge out of the water. The water is the source of these evil beings, and most scholars believe that the, these four beings represented the evil empires that we see throughout history in the Old Testament and the, into the New Testament. With the last one uh, that crushed and devoured its victims being the Roman Empire, which was the empire that Jesus faced, who was crushed and devoured by that uh, empire. There are many more examples we could look at to show this idea of the chaotic waters, evil and uh, working against God and his creation, uh, the order that he has worked into creation, and ultimately his plan to establish what Psalm 46 describes as a river that makes glad the city of God, where God is in the midst of his people. 
And in Revelation 22, we end with water as well, but we see that it is transformed. Just listen to the contrast of what we just read uh, to how the story ends. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Man, hallelujah. What a picture. But uh, from the beginning of, to the end of Scripture, there's a story going on about water. It's the story of God bringing beauty and order and creation and that perfect creation being shattered by sin, leading to raging storms and evil empires, and then God redeeming all things, including water, to now be this life-giving river flowing from the throne, supplying a tree that heals the nations. It's beautiful. So sorry if that's too nerdy for you, uh, but my heart in going into all that, one, side note, is just to show the beauty of Scripture, like the literary brilliance of our holy Scriptures, that it's telling one story and it all holds together in Jesus. And two, to give context to our, our teaching passage today, to show that water, more than just a scary storm, was, you know, uh, in the history and culture of the Jewish people, of Jesus's disciples was a source of evil that the Jews believed they had no control over and from which they needed to be rescued. Culturally, the Israelites were not seafaring people. Right? You know, outside of some fishermen, the Jews were terrified of water. Like in their history, they are a wandering desert tribe <clears throat> that, then, that then settles on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And even to this day, uh, I've read, if you go to resorts in Israel, you know, on the uh, West Coast, you know, on the Mediterranean Sea, very few people swim. <laughs> Beautiful Mediterranean Sea and very few people swim because deep into just the culture and identity of the uh, Jewish people is a fear of water. And so we might come to this text and say, wow, storms are scary. Uh, but it was so much bigger than that. It had the spiritual dynamic to it, the spiritual element of this chaotic, uncontrollable evil uh, in, in the face of which humans were helpless. So I hope we can see how the disciples uh, might read this. And in in Mark's original audience, which most, most scholars believe were the, uh, the Jewish believers in Rome facing all kinds of persecution. <clears throat> Jesus is stepping into the center of this massive biblical theme of water and show, stepping into their deepest fears uh, in the place of greatest hope for the rescue of God. So that's the intro. Let's look at our text now. Mark 4, turn there in your Bibles if you haven't yet. It says this, the day, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall came up and the 12 or in the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Now, in context of this particular story, Jesus had just finished a marathon day of preaching. We're at the tail end of chapter four, and the beginning of the chapter talks uh, about Jesus teaching by a lake and it being so crowded that he gets into a boat 
scoots out into the bay with everybody standing on the shore listening. And then we have all the teaching, all these parables that he taught. <clears throat> and so the image that it's, it's giving us here is that Jesus is teaching all day into the evening and he's getting tired and he's already in the boat. And so the disciples just hoist the sail and sail away, <laughs> sail away into the Sea of Galilee. Um, I'm sure it was uh, pastors, preachers that funded this scientific study, but they say physiologically that preaching or public speaking for 30 or 45 minutes is the equivalent of eight hours of other kinds of work. Um, you know, take it, you can Google it yourself, but you know, it's the adrenaline, the emotions, the vulnerability, all those kinds of things. And Jesus had been preaching all day. So he was zonked. He'd poured himself out and they sail into the sea and he just flops onto a cushion and sleeps, uh, which a sleeping Jesus is something that I had to cut a lot of stuff out of my manuscript because we don't have time, but it's fascinating. Jesus slept. And a furious squall, basically a, a hurricane begins to trounce the boat. And in the Greek, you could literally translate this a storm of mega wind. And there's some really fun stuff happening in the original Greek with the word mega that we'll, that we'll trace. And the scene is almost humorous to have a massive furious hurricane with disciples freaking out and Jesus just calm as can be sound asleep. And they, they awaken with this question, verse, the rest of verse 38. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. And picture this with me. You know, one of the disciples like freaking out and shaking Jesus' shoulder. Wake up. Don't you care if we drown? And just think with what this is like. Jesus was asleep, apparently out cold because the waves were crashing. He must be getting wet uh, and he's still not waking up. And Jesus, you know, kind of Ooh, stretches in the middle of a storm. Be quiet. Be still. And everything stops. The words Jesus uses here could be translated as hush up. Like the, the words that you would tell an ornery, noisy child. Reminds me of after church on Sundays when I'm trying to take a nap on the couch and my kids are being super noisy, you know? Like, oh, let daddy sleep, be quiet. Uh, the difference here is that the wind and waves actually listen. And in the Greek word, yeah, that was a joke. Um, my kids listen sometimes. Uh, the words used here uh, could be translated a mega calm. So we had a mega wind and now a mega calm. That's why it says completely calm or perfectly calm in English. It's just a staggering image, you know, a, a raging sea, waves crashing, and then a sea still as glass. Imagine how deafening that silence would have been after the roar of the storm and the screaming of the disciples. And in that total stillness and silence, Jesus says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? These are fascinating questions. I had a really good conversation with some folks this week about these questions. Specifically, what tone do you imagine Jesus having as he asked these questions? 
We don't know for sure, of course, like this, we're just kind of spirit-led meditation here. We don't have an audio recording or whatever, but it's been interesting for me to meditate on this because for a lot of my life, I read a lot of Jesus's words and questions like he was grumpy and frustrated. But consider the context, the, the content of the, question, the questions. First, the context is what? A mega calm, a quiet, staggering, holy moment face-to-face with the power of Jesus. And Jesus is still sleepy. I would imagine he's still sleepy. He's still waking up from his nap. And he says to the disciples, well, why, are, why are you so afraid? And the word for afraid here is timid. Why are you so timid? What I think we see in this question is the tender heart of Jesus, the tender heart of God towards scared, timid people. And it's a heart that, like a good father, doesn't want them to be timid or afraid. Uh, it makes me think of taking my son Johnny to the T-ball clinic at Woodward Park Rec Center uh, down the road. It's kind of his first time in, I don't know if you can call it organized sports, but, you know, there's, he's his first time playing sports. And uh, he gets so shy and timid. He wants to hold my hand, wants me to stand in line with him, which I love to some degree. Uh, but at one point, the coach, I'm not sure the strategy of this, had the, had the kids running. He would shout out base numbers, like out of order. And the kids were like in a mob supposed to run. But, you know, we play baseball in the backyard and we, we do it in order every time. Like that's, that's how you, whatever. Uh, and so, you know, they all go to first and he says third. And of course, Johnny runs to second like a normal person and everybody runs to third base and he's alone on second. And you just see the slow, you know, meltdown of crying and he runs and, and need, needs a hug. But what is my posture towards Johnny in that moment? Am I frustrated with him? No, I, my heart hurts for him because I don't want him to be timid and shy at the T-ball clinic. I, I, I want him to be confident and, he, and he's the best hitter that shows up there. I mean, if I can just be honest, an unbiased opinion. Um, so I, I picture that, I, I imagine that this is kind of what Jesus is saying. He's seeing the timid, fearful disciples and he's like, why are you timid? Why are you afraid? Like everybody here is for you. Know, for you. You, you, can, you can swing away at the ball. And then he, he moves, do you still have no faith? So there's this connection between a timidity and as we face our surroundings and faith in God. God doesn't want us to live timid, fearful lives, afraid of what life might throw at us. He wants us to live in faith. Verse 41, they, the disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, when it says the disciples were terrified, uh, you could literally translate the Greek, the disciples feared a mega fear. Do you see this cool mega theme that Mark is doing in his writing? There were mega winds, then there was a mega calm. And then these timid disciples now were terrified with a mega fear. Mark uses... Uh, a different word for fear. It's, not, it's no longer the timid word. It's this awe-inspiring, staggering, overwhelming terror and reverence. Now, the disciples more than likely would have been men who knew, knew the Old Testament. 
even though they, they didn't necessarily go super far in their schooling. And the primary text that they were taught would have been uh, the, the, the Old Testament scriptures. And the Jewish people sang the Psalms like it was their hymnal. So they would have been very familiar uh, with Psalm 29, which says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. To the disciples who would have grown up singing Psalm 29 with their family, with their neighbors in the synagogue, they realize they're now living it. They are seeing in real life the God of glory, the voice of the Lord over the waters, and they are terrified. Who is this? They are now fearing the right thing. And the disciples' fear as they follow Jesus and cry out to him are now seeing Jesus more fully for who he is. And here's what we see in this story about Jesus' absolute authority over nature, over creation, is that all power belongs to him. There's no battle in this text. There's no back and forth between Jesus and the storm where Jesus fights and overcome. Jesus doesn't get out his fancy wizard robes and his wand and muster up his strength and shout out some complicated spell into the face of the storm. No, he's half awake, maybe mid-yawn, you know, oh, stop it. Tell a raging hurricane to knock it off. My point is God's power isn't just more powerful than, this, than the most powerful storm. God's power is the source of all power. The storm's power actually comes from God. It's not just that God's power is the biggest of a lot of big powers. No, it's that God's power is the source of all power and existence. All power and existence is on loan from the God of the universe. This is God's all-powerfulness, his omnipotence. He spoke everything into existence with his word. And Hebrew 1 says he upholds everything by the power of that same word. And Jesus here is showing himself as the word made flesh. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus of Nazareth. Praise his name. So what does that mean for all of us? What does that mean for our fears? It means fear is an opportunity to see more of Jesus's power. It's an invitation. It's how God redeems something as unpleasant as fear. A question for you. Have you ever been honest enough with God to ask him what the disciples asked Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm so sad that I want to die? Don't you care that I'm so weary? I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. Don't you care that I'm so lonely? I'm so lonely in my singleness. I'm so lonely in my marriage that I can't imagine how I'm going to get through the rest of my life. Don't you care about me in my situation? If you have asked God those questions in the dark night of the soul. You're not, you're not alone. God's people ask that same question all throughout scripture. Psalm 44 says it like this. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? 
Scripture often shows God's people feeling like he's asleep at the wheel. Have you ever felt that way? So I think it's significant that when God shows up in the flesh, the people closest to him feel like he's asleep at the wheel. He's literally asleep in the middle of a storm. And it is in this experience of being brutally honest with God that we, like the disciples, can see him more fully as he truly is. And like the disciples, when we turn our gaze to God, even in our indignation, even in our desperation, uh, our fears are transferred from whatever our circumstances are to a holy reverence of the one we should truly fear, God himself. And when our fear of the storms of life are transferred into a healthy, grounding, stabilizing fear of the Lord of the storm, we can experience incredible freedom and joy. Because as Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who could be against us? If the Lord of the storm is on my side, then what storm will I be afraid of? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, or any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, all the disciples experienced terrible circumstances. They, and in the power of the Spirit, they, they joyfully faced what church history would say, brutal murders for their faith, terrifying circumstances as they followed Jesus into, into the storm because they, they saw him as the only one to fear and he was for them in love. Now, I'm curious when you think about your life and you think about the question, like, when have I been afraid? What do I do with fear? Um, some of you here might have a long list of like, oh yeah, these, this is what I'm afraid of. This, this is my list of fears. You might be fluent in your fears. Uh, but if you're like me, um, maybe a little less connected to, to your emotions, uh, it could be hard or uncomfortable to admit being afraid. Articulating our fears requires a, a pretty high level of emotional intelligence and awareness that, that requires us to slow down and be, be honest, experience the grace of honesty about what we're truly fe uh, feeling. And so if you're here today and you're like, fear, I ain't scared of nothing. Then let me tell you, I can relate. I cut out a lot of stories of me doing very foolish things fearlessly uh, growing up. Uh, but fear, what they'll tell you is a root emotion which means it happens at a deep place in our lives and our souls. Uh, and it often, because it's so deep, expresses itself as another emotion. And can you guess how often, uh, what, what emotion fear most often shows up in our lives and relationships? It's anger. If you picture an apple tree, Anger is like the fruit hanging on the branches that have its root down in fear. Anger is a way of coping with feeling afraid. We might be angry at someone or some circumstance, but if we were able to really slow down and felt safe enough to truly consider it, our anger doesn't really have as much to do with the specifics of the situation or person, but is heightened by fear. Exhibit A, me pummeling a bug on a dock. Like, you know, it's not that big a deal. I could have swept it away and got out of the lake. But when we're afraid, uh, our anger comes out in different ways. 
And so, you know, food for thought. If you struggle with a temper, with anger, I'd invite you in the covered in grace, what Jesus has done for you, to consider if that's just a warning light, a blinking warning light on the dashboard of your life with God inviting you to consider what, what are you afraid of? I would go so far as to say you'll never kick your anger issue, your temper issue, if you aren't willing to consider fear. It'd be like pulling up a weed and leaving the roots in the ground. It'll always come back. You have to get to the root. We have to be fluent in our fears so that you can bring those fears to God. This is not a reframing of like, hey, it's not that bad. Don't be afraid. But instead, it's, it's bringing our fears to God and holding them out to him without shame, saying, Father, I'm scared. Don't you care about me? And practically, one of the best ways that I've found that's been so fruitful in my life to do this is to journal out prayers as we meditate on God's word. This combination of, of journaling out prayers, like actually physically writing out what we're feeling, what we want to tell God, getting it out of our bodies and onto the page uh, is so helpful. You have to put a name to it. Your, your hand has to write some word. And then, let, and then meditate on a morsel of scripture and let the Holy Spirit search you and know you. It takes incredible courage uh, to, to do this. But I, we have resources out on our book table with these little journals, and we also have a bookmark in them that has a, a, a meditative reading plan through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I know a lot of you are already doing that. But if you haven't done this, if you haven't tried journaling in your time with God, if prayer feels difficult or hard to focus, then I'd encourage you to get your body involved and, and, and write it down and um, work on articulating what it is you're afraid of, what it is you're, you're feeling, that God, I feel this way this morning, and then turn to his word. It takes incredible grit and grace to, to do this. You have to have a lot of grace for yourself. Um, and you got you to be willing to just like do it, it, it through the embarrassment, through the awkwardness, to get past the huffy, puffy anger and why it's everyone else's fault and how they made you feel that way and come home to the scared little boy or scared little girl that's inside of you and then hold out that fear to God. Pour that fear out to the only one who can calm the hurricane. And as amazing as this story is, as amazing as Jesus's power over the hurricane is, uh, that's not ultimately the basis for faith in him at the, in the face of fear. Because he calmed the storm, saved his disciples. But Jesus promises us in his word that someday he's going to calm all the storms. He's going to still all the waves. He's going to destroy destruction and break brokenness and kill death. That's what we celebrated last year on Easter. Someday all storms will be gone. That's what he promises. That's what the kingdom of God means. And how can he do that? How can he promise that? Because of when he was on the cross, he was thrown into the ultimate storm. For you, for me, he was thrown under the ultimate waves of sin and death. Jesus told his disciples to not fear the things that can only harm the body, but to fear him who could destroy both the body and soul. And Jesus faced that down, the ultimate storm of eternal justice, bearing all of our sin. He bowed his head and went straight into it for you and for me. 
And so when in the midst of the storms of life, when we're terrified, we can cry out to him, don't you care? And then he can say, why are you so afraid? Don't you see the, the holes in my hands and feet? Do you see the wounds that bring your healing and salvation? And as the resurrected King and Savior, he can say, peace be with you. Our God is so good that he can redeem our fear by making it a chance, an invitation to look to him, to cry out like a scared child and behold once again that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm on the cross. And like the disciples, we can see Jesus more clearly as a resurrected King of Kings who will one day return to end all storms and make all things new and calls us into that kingdom work of bringing about the renewal of all things. Let me pray. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.